Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny and Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, Nenny and Associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry, hence why we named the podcast the way that we did. And simply put, we help our clients find the right talent. Each week, we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started, and where they see the industry heading. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. And on today's episode, we have something a little bit different. This is episode 60. We sit down with Kisan Patel. We discuss how he got started in his career and how his, how his experience working in the real estate and M&A advisory world allowed him to start his own company, M&A Science. Really interesting to hear about his entrepreneurial journey and how their software service is serving their clients today. As usual, be sure to stick around until the end to hear about the advice Kisan would give to his 22-year-old self. Good stuff there. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to our channel and consider downloading this episode and future episodes. This is really the only way that we can track how many people are listening. So if you're one of the folks out there who are streaming the episodes, I urge you to consider hitting that download button instead. Now, if you enjoy this episode, please share it and leave a five-star review. Now, we think you're really going to enjoy this conversation between Kisan and I. So let's drop in. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today we're sitting down with uh, Kisan Patel, who is the CEO and founder of MA Science. Kisan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jim. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm excited to uh to have you on and, and to dig into your your background and what you guys are up to here. So let's start at the beginning. Uh tell our audience about kind of where you grew up and then kind of how you got started in your career. Sure. I was born in Chicago, but actually grew up in small town Nebraska from the time I was three till 19. Started college over there, transferred to Illinois, technically failed out of undergrad, and found, my, say, found myself working up through a real estate career path where I started in residential real estate, hated it, found my way and found my uh, means through the numbers where I was extremely interested in businesses how they operate, the financials behind them, ended up at a boutique M&A advisory shop, worked there for a year where I started finding my success, my groove, and then moved on to start my own consultancy practice doing buy side, sell side advisory, uh, starting with small little private companies and grew up to work with corporates. Hospitality industry was my main focus, worked with Kimpton, Extended Stay America, La Quinta, and then also covered small financial institutions working with primarily community banks to raise capital, buy, sell side. And the recession happened, and that's when I pivoted, looked over, was infatuated by the software industry, got involved with a MarTech startup that didn't pan out the way I wanted to, but exposed me to the way the software engineers were managing soft, managing the process of building software with these cool project management tools. And it got me to reflect on my own experience in M&A and thought, why not for M&A? Started Deal Room in 2012 with the goal of project management software for M&A. And then things evolved. I got to learn the industry and you continuously solve unique problems. I ended up, get, with a friend's help and encouragement, started a podcast called M&A Science with the goal of leveraging a podcast as a platform so practitioners can share lessons learned. We can, in turn, look for patterns, identify proven techniques, which was highly lacking in the industry. 
And that evolved into a full media business where we've published books, published um, lots of blogs, eBooks, and run our own event series, roundtables, an academy program. And uh, today, look at our business as a, a hybrid of education and technology for all things M&A. Wow. So you're used to sitting on the other side of the desk then, you're used to the hosting podcast versus being the guest, huh? A, a little bit for the last five years. Okay. Okay. Uh, so what was, uh, what was attractive to you about the, uh, you said you were infatuated with kind of the SaaS world. What, uh, what really caught your interest or lit the flame there? I think when I just reflected on what I wanted, you go through this major recession, you're anticipating on a record banner year and you end up losing money and uh, are more concerned about your, your imminent business. I, and I thought, what do I really want? And first of all, it was the geography. I didn't want to be regionally focused in one specific area. I want to break free of that. I wanted to travel, but I don't like traveling as a tourist. I like traveling for business when you feel that like you have an objective or a mission that you're looking to accomplish. And uh, I wanted to ensure I was working towards building a company and a team that I could be extremely excited about from the minute I wake up. And that's where I feel like the, the direction we're achieving today is, is those three areas with the tech business. Because in technology, it's, it's accepted to, to have that platform where you can scale it uh, first domestically, now internationally, um, and then be able to, to travel as well as needed. And then also build that quality team that really is something to be excited about. Yeah, I'd say that's, that's rare, right? Not many people have that uh, waking up every day and really enjoying and looking forward to what they're doing. So that's, uh, that's pretty unique. You know, the so, trick for it, Jim, is just hiring people smarter than you. That's uh, all you got to do. <laughs> very, uh, very astute. No, that makes, uh, makes sense. So um, so tell our audience about M&A Science. Let's pretend they have no idea who you guys are. They don't really understand the M&A world. You know, if you could give us kind of like the fundamental 101 baseline understanding of the world that you're in and then how you guys are bringing value to your customers. When we look at M&A, they're the largest transactions in the world, but also more importantly, they're the largest magnitude of change management or organization goes through that happens as a result from these events. And when we look at the previous decades, they tend to be very finance focused transactions. And what we're seeing is things are really evolving and shaping quickly for multiple factors. But in summary, they're becoming people-focused transactions where ultimately people are the ones that drive the value of these deals. We start an acquisition with a vision on how we're going to innovate and create value. And it takes a lot of effort, coordination, uh, accountability, and, and keeping tabs around priorities to really get the results that organizations want. And it, it, all, it all goes back to the people. If, if you don't operating away with a focus on people, this change can really disrupt a business. People can get upset, frustrated, quit their job, leave with a lot of value on uh, with them. So that's where it's important to have that alignment and focus on people. I think also underpinning that is the very nature of M&A has shifted. You know, we're going away from purely acquiring businesses for market share to buying these hard assets like factories to buying technology companies. We think of these large Fortune 500 companies. Nobody wants to be the next blockbuster. Nobody wants to end in the corporate graveyard. And the only way you're gonna avoid that is you gotta disrupt yourself. 
you got to think about where things are going. You got to think about new capabilities and disrupt some of your, your business lines that you have uh, and do it yourself. If you don't, somebody else will. Somebody else will, and you're going to be the one getting acquired or, or, or shut down. Uh, so the very nature of why these organizations have been pursuing these kind of technology companies is there to add that capability. Um, but now it's, it becomes more challenging when you're buying a startup and you're acquiring it for their uniqueness, their way of doing things and trying to manage that level of change where you can integrate their way of working capabilities into your organization without losing that very thing that you sought after. Uh, that That's where it gets challenging. And, and again, it goes back to the people. Like how do you manage that change? How do you preserve what, what they have that worked so well uh, without, without losing it in the integration process? So what, what we do is we provide both the education when we do a lot of research to understand what techniques, what methods actually work, what approaches, uh, and then also build software around it to help standardize those techniques and approaches. And it ends up being a full life cycle approach from the very, very beginning to through the diligence phase and then integration of the companies. That's interesting. No, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't thought of it that way before. So um, we don't have to go into anything specific as far as organizations or clients, but I was curious, like what types of clients are you guys working with when you guys look at business development or creating new revenue opportunities? Who are the types of organizations that you guys partner with? Sure. We're very corporate focused. So we primarily will look at 1 billion plus market cap companies. And then, uh, and some of these firms are like Energizer, Emerson, Cardinal Health, BP, Johnson Johnson. Okay. And then we also have um, uh, PE firms, but with PE firms, it tends to be roll-ups. It's like mm-hmm. PE-backed roll-ups is a, another sweet spot for us. We've just done extremely well in that space. That's a, another area of focus. Okay. Yeah, I thought when you mentioned startups, uh, I would imagine, is there like a venture capital play here as well? Not really. They no. tend to okay. be operating on a pretty low budget, you know, depending on their size of fund. They tend to be sub billion dollar funds and, yeah. you know, their management structure. And I, I just think the way they operate, the nature of it, they don't have the complexity of integration as much. It's mainly the front end capital allocation. And there's a good number of tools that, that do that. And it's pretty much more of a straightforward process. We have worked with some of those firms. But uh, I, I don't think that's our, our main area of focus. No, it makes, makes sense. Yeah. Um, especially if you're looking at some of the bigger transactions where your software, I would imagine if someone were to dig into it, you guys are trying to like untangle the complexities of what a normal deal would encompass, right? It's, it like, sounds like you're just, you're smoothing out the process for them. We like complex problems. <laughs> complex and making them simple, I would imagine. Yeah, in a way, absolutely. Simplifying them through. Okay. All right. No, that's uh, that's good. So let's talk uh, Let's talk industry. Is there a particular, like you rattled off a few companies there, but is there a t- particular market or industry that you guys are seeing a lot of activity in right now? Tech and healthcare is Tech and healthcare. gangbusters. Like those, okay. those industries are hot, a lot of activity. But mm-hmm. I, I would say generally speaking across the board, uh, the industry has seen its record years this past year. And it seems indicators are signaling it's going to be another high volume year this year. What do you think? Uh, what do you think's driving that? The tech and healthcare, like a macroeconomic trend. That's a good question. I think there's a lot of economists trying to figure that out. With everything going on, you would think yeah. the other way. But there, you know, there was some elements around tax changes that was fueling okay. a lot of this stuff last year, especially okay. on, the, on the PE side. 
But I, I, you know, you couple that and there's just so much capital out there that yeah. needs to be deployed. We continue seeing more of the structured funds raising large funds and they got to deploy the capital. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think those are the, the primary driver drivers and the, the need for it. There, there's definitely com- the competitions there. The, our current climate is demanding innovation at a faster rate. So we're seeing this increase of activity getting fueled by that as well. Okay. Yeah. And what I wanted to do was, was kind of tie this into our audience here. So obviously our space, we specialize in, in energy efficiency or energy services. So I know you talked about some of the sectors that you guys are seeing some traction in, but I was curious just for our audience, are you seeing anything in kind of the, you know, say the broadly, the energy services, energy efficiency, or even like the, the utility segment, you know, just broadly speaking? We see a lot of activities there. We have a handful. We probably work about three or four clients in that space. Okay. But even though the ones we've worked with, <laughs> they're doing a lot of, of activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, we primarily work on the back end, setting up the technology for those mm-hmm. firms. So we get a, a, a sense of the, their activity, but it's highly active on both the capital raise side, but then also the execution of, of M&A and other investments. Uh, you know, they could be doing some uh, growth investments into projects. We're, we're seeing some real strong activity from the clients that we are working with. Yeah. Yeah. I bet if, if we were to peel back the, the onion and have a conversation offline, we'd probably have some similar contacts because we're seeing the same thing, right? A lot of the private equity firms are starting to, like you said, they need to deploy capital. You have these small, medium, large size businesses in the energy efficiency space, and you're starting to see a lot of acquisition activity happening. You know, from our perspective, you know, it's, uh, I'd say more over the last two to three years than we'd seen in the previous, you know, eight to 10. I don't know what, uh, yeah, the last few years have really ramped things up, but it seems like it's, uh, it's happening more and more in our space specifically. So I guess that makes sense why you're, you're seeing that too. So good. Thank you for sharing that. I think we wanted to, of course, kind of tie it into, uh, tie it into our world here. So um, as we hover out and kind of look at where the future is heading in your the M&A space, I know you guys are at the forefront of, of technology and, and software. So where do you see your industry heading? I don't see it going anywhere or a slowdown anytime soon. Um, you know, there's going to be some economic shifts that may make an impact on that. You know, when we see tax rates change or sorry, interest rates change and some of these other factor, but that the nature of why corporations are pursuing M and a that factor is just only gaining momentum. It's becoming more competitive. Um, companies are really pursuing these deals for that, that level of change in their own organizations we, we discussed earlier. Mm-hmm. So we estimate just more activity to come. Um, and I guess for us, there's, there's just a lot of market opportunity in, in optimizing this process where we, we still have a lot of organizations operating in that pure finance focus and they don't end up realizing the full value of these acquisitions. And as organizations are able to optimize and get more efficient, they'll inherently be more effective on these acquisitions and realize more value, which will set them on the track to be better positioned at pursuing more opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe asked a a different way. Is there a particular like uh, feature or function in your software that you guys could see, Hey, we're going to add this or customers are asking for this type of application within your software. Is there anything like adjustments that you would see, you know, needing to make there on the software side? Uh, there's some interesting stuff we see emerging technologies like AI is actually going in a good direction where mm-hmm. there's real world use cases for it. 
uh, it's not just pure hype. Mm-hmm. One of the things we're really interested in investing is is technology to summarize documents because when you're going through a big M&A transaction, there's so much information that you'll go through. When you're going through diligence, you want to review as much information as you can about the company to understand what the risks are and also understand the opportunities so you can plan well on how you're going to integrate the business to capture the, that value and opportunity. Uh, and that, that's where we see an, an opportunity to use some of this technology to summarize the information so a person can go through the relevant information a lot faster and parse out the irrelevant information. Um, we're seeing it already in the legal side. When you do an acquisition, you'll have to, the hard task is to review the HR agreements, all the employment agreements across the firm and big deal with thousands of employees. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of paperwork. Same thing with customer contracts. But if you can use AI to really help you hone in on the unique clauses, because most of them are built around the same template, that allows you to go through them way much, much quicker. Uh, I, I think the other thing is seeing like BI solutions with applications for M&A, where we got the pit pretty typical, let's look at the data, let's see what users' activities are, who's actually, especially when you're running an auction process, who's the most engaged buyer. You know, th- those things are pretty common today. But when you can take more of these advanced BI solutions and enable acquirers to do better analysis on a deal, so one, they can prepare better for even pursuing the deal, making sure they have the right resources in place uh, it, to, that allows them to to be efficient in how they pursue the deal so they can run it in a timely fashion and have the coverage they need. And then also to be able to better analysis and the financials, uh, I think visualizing the org charts, there's a common element of when these organizations come together, there's going to likely be redundant roles and, and things that need to get shift around. But I think the earlier you get a view on that can help you plan for a much smoother integration where you can reallocate roles in different areas and, and make that process generally smoother. So I, I think that's what's shifting next is we've done a lot of just the upload, download documents, and now some general workflows, getting that off of Excel and into a, a common project management type of workflow. But can you bake in the tools that actually allow you to work on the deal more efficiently? Oh, makes, makes sense. That's good. Uh, good insight there. So let's transition to the last part of the show here is the same four questions that I ask to every guest who comes on. And I wanted to lead off with uh, what are your daily non-negotiables? Daily non-negotiables is knowing what you don't know. And I can add context over here, Jim, is a lot of times you have conversations, there's something that comes up and you may not know it, but you sort of glance over it. Uh, you come up, it could be an acronym that you haven't heard of. And it's, 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 it, that's an opportunity, like pause there, be candid about it, open up and say, Hey, Ed, what does that mean? What does SIM mean? What does CIM stand for? And get that, learn it real quick. Cause I, I feel like sometimes we tend not to do that. We tend to have that, uh, I don't know if it's our own ego, but we, we tend not to show that vulnerability when we have a gap. And I always look at it as, can you be as conscious as you can about, you know, don't know what you don't know. So we're encouraging folks to bring that to you and then know what you don't know so you can bring it to this uh, area where you know what you know. I think that's like one thing in every conversation you have to build as a discipline so that you can be proactive and get the information that's going to be helpful and beneficial to you. 
All right, I'm going to follow your lead on this. Though. You used an acronym just previously. I think it was BI. Yep. What does that stand for? Business intelligence. Business intelligence. There we go. And now I'm now I'm learning something, and uh, you used. I'm following. I'm following your daily non-negotiable right on this uh, on the spot. Oh, it, it is, and then it lends to hey, you know, what's a BI or what's business intelligence, and that's that's the craze now. All these organizations, they want to. They have so many different data sets all over their organizations. And they need to combine it in one place to do analysis and build some pretty dashboards. And that's what these BI solutions allow you to do. Perfect. So let's rewind the clock. What advice would you give to your 22-year-old self? You're just kind of starting in your career. You know, I, I think of that. I always think of principles. You know, today w- with three kids, I'm always driving at them and saying, look, I'm going to give you a head start with the principles I, I believe in. And I'd build off the same thing going back to my 21-year-old self. It's always been discipline, learning pattern, and empathy. Um, I, I think discipline is pretty straightforward. You got to take action. You got to be committed to what you do, and you have to have that ability to get comfortable doing the things you're uncomfortable doing. Learning pattern. I hated reading at that age, but it's more about the capability to learn. If you can uh, build that in yourself as a muscle, and know that you need to be able to learn things quickly. Now you look at what channels do I do, whether it's Google, the blog search, Wikipedia, uh, reading a book related to the matter or the subject matter experts. Can I find somebody that's an expert in the field, get the conversation going, get answers to the questions? You know, having that as a conscious way to build a learning pattern and empathy. A lot of times the conversations, we're not focused in trying to understand the person, their thinking, how they feel about things, why they feel that way. And a lot of times we just approach conversations with our own agenda. What are we trying to get out of it? You got to be able to put that aside or even your own biases, what you think you know if you're a subject matter expert on the topic, put it aside, assume you know nothing or what you know is wrong and be able to have a real conversation where you can intently listen and understand the other person's goals and objectives and align yourself to help them with their goals and objectives just get you so much further than trying to push your own agenda. I think those are the, those key principles that um, really make a big difference, I tell myself back then. Yeah, what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? learning problem solving just um there's always something to learn and it never ends sure. I, I think when you work in a space you're interested for us I, i've always used to get bored i did one thing worked in one sector i get bored and jump around and i don't know if that's a little the add you know factor in that play but uh, well for us we're being able to work across so many different organizations and get a learn about it we had to learn about the energy space manufacturing biotech all these cool industries there's so much to learn when we get to work with organizations and the way they do things how they solve problems Um, but then being able to focus in their m&a related problems and help them overcome them with what we've learned across the time of doing this yeah last uh, last question here uh this is the easy one what do you want your lasting legacy to be the lasting legacy, impact and change in the industry. You know, we, we entered this industry with the goal to make a difference. We just saw uh, not only an opportunity to, to generate some revenue, but we just saw an industry that was so far behind. And if you look at the net results, it impacts people in some pretty rough ways where folks can end up going through a bad transition and you know they get frustrated and quit their jobs and things of that sort. So I think there's this opportunity to create a big change in this very antiquated industry that would not only create more value for the organization, but create a much better people experience so that 
organizations can actually come together in a way that allows them to truly grow and shine together. I think that's a perfect way to uh, to close out the show here. So, Keyson, thanks for the time. Thanks for being a guest on the Building Efficiency Podcast. My pleasure, Jim. All right. Have a good one. Thank you. All right. There you have it. Episode 60 with Keyson Patel. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. Now, we hope you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues as well. And one last thing, if you have any future guests in mind from the industry, please reach out to me. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.